This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Glad to see you here today. Say that from my heart. Again, if you're a guest here, we welcome you. If you need a Bible, why don't you get your hand up real high and then go with me to the book of Acts 13. Uh, Usually when I come back from the Men of Iron, I know there's a lot of our men who, who aren't able to go this year. So I like to speak on similar things that I spoke on up there and then to give your wives and you other ones an opportunity to hear some of what took place up there. So we'll begin in Acts 13 today. just want to say to thanks to all our men. You know, you guys are great. We've got great men in the church. Just great, great men in the church. And I want to say thank you to all the men that ushered. I wasn't even aware that we have such champion ushers that... They ushered a whole two sessions when they were only supposed to usher one, and I wasn't aware of it completely until later on, so I say thank you for jumping in there and serving. Uh, again, go to Acts chapter 13, and, and we'll begin today, and you'll, you'll see just some tads, bits of generational stuff in here, and part of this, the, the way we'll go, you'll begin to see kind of how the Lord had me study for this, just through a, a word called generations right here. So we begin in Acts 13, verse 36. For David, after he had served his own generation, by the will, the purpose of the counsel of God, he fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption, or he decayed. So you begin to, to look at this, and when it says he fell asleep, he died, it was over. So really it began to speak to me to thank we, we only have a short time here to influence, and then we die, and that's going to happen to every one of us here, and so I, I really begin to, to be moved by what this said, that he served his generation. He didn't come to be served, he served his generation, and, and when I go back and study David's life, you know, he was good to his family, he was good to his children. But he didn't just live for his family and his children. He knew that there had to be something done to serve the generation he was in. In other words, he said, I, I want to leave my, my thumbprints on the generation that I get to serve. Now, me personally here, I don't want to be known after I die as a pastor that drives fast. Not that I would. Not a, not a mile over the speed limit until you turn my car on. <laughs> Forgive me if you were offended by that, okay? I, Lord's still working on me in that area, okay? He's still developing me. That Some of you didn't know I work for American Airlines. I have a license to fly. So I don't want to be remembered for that, though. I want to be remembered for the way I I serve the generation with the purpose of God, with the counsel of God. And I believe that's huge for every one of us to get this. That again, this man who was referenced in the Bible as King David, he said, I want to be remembered the way I serve my generation. And then we jump to verse 37. But he, the Lord Jesus, whom God raised up, he saw no corruption or never decayed. 
Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man the Lord Jesus has preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by, everyone, by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So now he begins to show us something with the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus himself said this, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. And so I believe that, that King David, he, he grabbed onto the coattail of Jesus and said, Lord Jesus, the same way you impacted this earth, I want to impact this earth. And I want to tell people about you, how you save, how you forgive, how you set free. And then we jump into some other interesting statements here. Verse 40. Beware. The message says, don't take this lightly, therefore, brethren, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Now, when the Apostle Paul, right here in the book of Acts in the New Testament, he said, I want you to be aware of some things that the prophets talked about that it wouldn't come upon you or it wouldn't happen to you. Now, right here, what the Apostle Paul is doing, he literally quotes the prophet Habakkuk to his, his quoting. Now, what was going on in Habakkuk's lifetime is, is their nation was out of control. It was filled with violence. It was filled with the doctrines of men. It had got really, really ugly. Now, Watch what uh, Paul goes ahead and says here as he quotes Habakkuk. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. Watch out. The message says your world will fall to pieces. For I will work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. So literally stated here, He's saying, though it stares you right in the face, you still have a hard time believing it. And we begin to look at our society and the things that we begin to see on a daily basis. And, and we can look at it and we can say, that's not happening in America. That, that can't be happening in Lubbock. That can't be happening in our schools. Why are 17-year-olds being shot and killed? Why is child pornography just out of control? And so the Apostle Paul right here, he, he's given us the heart of very similar things that are happened to us that took place in Habakkuk's day. Now go with me to the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1. And some of you say, I, I can't even spell Habakkuk, let alone find it. I can relate. You go backwards in the Old Testament, you go from Malachi, five books back, okay, that way. And if you go by Zephaniah, you're getting real close. If you get to Nahum, you've gone just a little too far. If you got to Daniel or Ezekiel, you've gone way too far. Again, this will really help you today. It's in, or my page is page 1224. Probably won't help you a bit. The... Uh, the first service, I, I read verses 1 through 4, and I just described it a minute ago. And Habakkuk's cry, it's violence, it's destruction. 
I'm going to start in verse number 5 this time. And when Habakkuk began to cry out to God, this was the Lord's cry. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told to you. Now, the reason I read this again, because we saw the Apostle Paul quote that in Acts 13, but he said, watch the nations. And so we could stand here for a few minutes and we could talk about all the things we're seeing in our nation, and it almost utterly astounds us to think the people of Syria are, are having chemicals put on children. I mean, when we begin to see the, the greatest moneymaker with the cartels now is not drugs. It's taking 12-year-old girls and prostituting them. That's their biggest resource. And you begin to look at those things, and it utterly astounds us. I mean, if we go home and watch the news today, you'll see something that it took okay in the took place in the UK. Something's happening in China. Something's happening in the, the continent of Africa. But even right here, you pick up the newspaper and there's stuff that'll be, and you'll look and you'll say, I, I can't believe this is happening. Now look what he goes on to say in verse 6. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldean. Some translations may say the Babylonians. And so, just to help you a little bit with the Chaldeans and, and the Babylonians here, it, it was really a world culture that was in rebellion to God is what it was about right here. And, and they were ruled by their own rules. In other words, they moved God out. They came to a place in their life where they said, you know what? We don't want to listen to God. We want to listen to our own ways. Kind of like America. We really don't want to hear the Word of God. We don't live by the, the Ten Commandments anymore. And if you think about this in light of, of that passage right there, you begin to see a, a society in decay when we get outside the boundaries or the perimeters that God created. God doesn't do that to punish us. God does that to bless us. And so anytime we get to the place where we say, you know, I would rather live by the, the philosophies of man or, or the human's mindset, I'm going to get in trouble. This is what he's talking about, the Chaldeans. Now listen to how he goes on to define them. They are a bitter and a hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. Now, if you're possessing a dwelling place that's not yours, you've trespassed. And so, in saying dwelling places that aren't theirs, how would it make you feel if you got home from church today and someone had broke into your house? We wouldn't dance around and say, oh, thank you, Jesus, that's awesome. I'd be upset because they broke into my house, dwelling place that wasn't theirs. 
And so for that to take place, they didn't ask for permission. If you've ever had a car broken into, that person who broke into your car, he didn't call you and say, hey, Ernest, you don't know me, but I'm getting ready to break in your car, okay? And so this is what this is talking about. Now, we go back to where the Apostle Paul quoted this in the New Testament. So now we come into a little bit different situation. In the Old Testament, it literally was physical people. But in the New Testament, according to Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers. The devil, the demons. So now, for us, it becomes a spiritual battle. And so think about this. The devil is wanting to dwell places in your life that don't belong to him. John 10.10 says, the thief. The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. So the same spirit that was on the Chaldeans, that's the spirit of the devil, okay? Now, look what he goes on to say in verse 7. They are terrible. They're dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceeds from themselves. They are arrogant and they are prideful. So I begin to look at all this and I begin to read, you know, the passage about David and, and how he served his generation. And from early January, when I would pray, I would hear the Lord say this. He'd say, I don't want to lose a generation. I don't want to lose a generation. And and, and I can hear those words, and it almost shocks me to think, is there a possibility that God could use a, lose a generation? There's a man in the church, he was in the first service, Rick Doe. About a month ago, he said to me, he said, Pastor, all my family still lives in the UK. Under the age of 30 years old, 30 and under, 70% of that age group in the UK they do not identify with God at all. Zero. Seventy percent. So if we walk down here and we took ten right here, seven out of the ten would have nothing to do with God. Now that's in the UK and we can sit here all day long and we can act like that's not going to take place here. It's taking place here. It's happening. And as you begin to get a little older, not that I'm old, but you begin to see things that you say, I, I, never, I never would have dreamed this would begin to take place in America. I would, I would never have thought this. So I begin to cross some, uh, some verses here, some scripture. And it takes me to the book of Daniel. Go with me to Daniel chapter 1. And this is what I really, really want to focus on as we're turning there. A couple things as you're turning there. Remember, David said, man, I, I want to serve my generation with the purposes of God. Then we see the, the Chaldeans, their goal is to possess dwelling places that aren't theirs. So we think in those lines right there just a little bit here. Daniel 1 verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. Now, when we see the king of Babylon, remember that is rooted in a world culture that's in rebellion to God. 
This king here named Nebuchadnezzar, he's a Chaldean. So now we see what we could probably identify as the king or a king that's so focused in the world, he marches into God's uh, hometown, God's headquarters called Jerusalem, and he besieged it. The word besieged means he overwhelmed it and he harassed and so you begin to look at this, and I think, wait a minute. How can this ungodly king march into the capital of God's place and harass them and overwhelm them? So he marches in there. Look at the very first thing he does. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God. Now notice the wording there, the house of God. The word God there is big G, Elohim. The great Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he goes into the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shiner, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure of his God. Now I want you to think about this. He marches into the temple at Jerusalem, takes the treasures of God's house, and he takes them back to an ungodly place called Shiner. And he takes the treasures that were to Yahweh. And he moves them into the house of Baal. Now can you imagine God watching all this take place? So the very first thing when this ungodly king goes into Jerusalem that he goes after. He goes after their money. You know what he realizes? That if I can get their money, there's no resources in the house of God. How can they preach God? But he also knows this, that if he gets your treasures and you quit honoring God with your tithes, then you're cursed. Wow. That hurt, Pastor. Well, here's the truth of the matter. I didn't write the Bible. But I will quote it to you. Malachi 3 says, you've robbed me. And he said, where have I robbed you? And he said, in tithes and offerings. And because you've robbed me in tithes and offerings, you're cursed with a curse. Bring all the tithe into my storehouse that there may be meat or resources in my house. And so something begins to take place here. And so he took those treasures out of the house of God. Matthew 6, 21 says this, where your treasure is is where your heart will be. Not where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. Rather, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will go. So if you want to find out where your heart's at, just trace your treasure. Now, it's amazing that this ungodly king, he realizes the truth right there. So you know what he's saying? We get their money, we shut down the house of God. Verse 2, 3. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of eunuchs, the chief of state, to bring some of the children of Israel. Wow. He goes after their children. Why does he go after their children? Because he knows if I get their children at this age, they'll never walk into things of God at this age. So let's go after their children. And not only does he want to go after their children, now he goes after them with the things of the world. And when he does that, he says, I want them to feel the abandonment from the things that God created them for them to have, moms and dads. And he said, we'll allow the world to teach them. And when we allow the world to teach them, we got them. 
So we can sit here and act like, well, it's no big deal with the children. It's a huge deal. And so I cast vision here again. We got children that if we don't reach out to them, guess who will? The world will. Proven facts right here. The music industry and Hollywood target nine-year-olds. If we can get them as nine-year-olds, we got them. Let me ask this question right now. How many of you here gave your heart to Jesus before you were 12 years old? Pretty significant, isn't it? So he goes after their children. Keep reading. Some of the king's descendants, some of the nobles. Verse 4, and young men. Young men. Now here's what's incredible about this. This ungodly king knows we can reshape the face of Jerusalem by getting their kids and their young men. When we begin to study this, this is about Daniel. At this time in Daniel's life, he's 20 years old. So he's going after 20-year-olds. How many in here gave your heart to Jesus before you were 25? Look at it. It's massive. Statistically, it says that if you don't give your heart to Jesus before you're 25, it drops significantly. 90% of all people that give their heart to Jesus do it before they're 25. Now, if you didn't do that, I'm not saying God can't move. God can move. But you see the majority... It's amazing, this ungodly king knew that. So now we throw back in, dwelling places that aren't his. He wants to dwell in the hearts of our children and our young. So the more I read this, the more I hear the voice of God. I don't want to lose a generation. Keep reading. In whom there was no blemish, they were healthy. They were good looking. Handsome. Gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand. They were intelligent. Now watch what he said here. Who had the ability to serve in the king's palace. You know what he just said? I want them to serve in the world. I want them to use them not to influence the kingdom of God. I want to use them to influence the world. So how does he do that? Watch this in whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. He wants to teach them the language of the world. He doesn't want you to understand the language of the Holy Spirit. He wants you to understand the language of the world. And so guess what begins to happen? He begins to indoctrinate our young men and our children at this age. And he knows, I got them. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed or shaped or molded by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind to the Word of God. That doesn't just happen. We've got to preach the Word. We've got to preach the Word to our children, to our young ones. And so when it says there to teach them the language and the literature of the Chaldeans, the phrase, the literature of the Chaldeans, he said, I want to teach them with witchcraft and fortune telling. So you know what he wants to do? 
He wants to get God out and put the view of the world in him. The second thing, he's after their mind. Their money and their mind. Keep reading. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies. You know what the king's delicacies were? The appetites of the world. I want to give them the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And if I can get them to to bite on that and they begin to partake of the king's delicacies, the things of the world, I got them. And I believe he's still doing those things. That, That lure of the things of the world. He doesn't stop there. And of the wine which he drank. I highlight that. The wine which he drank. This is an ungodly king. The wine that this ungodly king drank. Ephesians 5.18 says, Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So this ungodly king, again, he knows... If I can get them over and get them on getting drunk and the things of the world, I'll steal their morals. I got them. How do you know that? Well, you think about the Proverbs. It says that when you get over into a state of drunkenness, your eyes start seeing strange things. I can tell you this right now, not with great honor. I've been drunk. And it began to mess with my eyes. And not only did the drunkenness mess with my eyes, it changed my behavior. And I began to do things that were uncharacteristic of what God wanted me to be. And so guess what He wants to do? He wants to get you in that state. And when He gets you in that state, I'm just telling you right now, the devil will take advantage of you. But when I'm filled with the Spirit of God, oh man, God begins to take advantage of me in a godly way. He's after our money. He's after our mind. He's after our morals. I'm going to be quiet or I could say some things I said at the men of iron. It may get me in trouble, so I better not. No, uh-uh. don't say that. Don't say, come on. Don't say, verse 5, we better move on. Let me just say that. I appreciate you men letting me be me down there, okay? I mean, there's stuff that I would never say in front of women here. Not, not, not that it's sickening women. It's just an easy way for men to identify, okay? Men are men. I mean, we're, 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 we're all just big boys in different costumes now. That's all we are. Move on, Pastor, before you get in trouble. Verse 5. And the king appointed them for a daily provision of the king's delicacy and the wine he drank. And three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. There's a huge nugget in there. This ungodly king knew if I can train him for three years, I got him. I got him. And how did he say he would get them? That at the end of the three years, they would serve before this ungodly king. 
And so again, when we sit back and think, we don't have to instruct them, we don't have to tell them the truth, we don't have to tell them the Word of God, then this is what happens right here. That the world will begin to teach them the very things God desired for us to teach them. And he said this in Proverbs 22, verse 6, he said, you train them up in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart. Something happens when we just begin to obey God. That's why you ones in here, get your little blessings to church. Get them into our children's ministries, our youth ministries. They're not babysitting. They're going to preach them the Word of God, and then you reinforce it at home. It's amazing what the Bible teaches you, huh? Verse 6. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. He gave name, Daniel the name of Belteshazzar. You know what he does here? He says, I'm going to change their name. And when I change their name, I change their identity. So instead of telling Daniel, and the word Daniel there meant... Let me find out exactly. I don't want to miss that. God is my judge. The Hebrew or the Chaldean name Belteshazzar means whom Baal favors. Whom Baal this, this, this guy tells them whom Baal favors. The, the, the ungodly king pronounces an ungodly name on him. And so this is how this begins to look. God calls you an overcomer. God calls you a blessing. God calls you the things that, that we sang about today. I'm who God says I am, but the world tries to start saying, your name is Freddie Failure. You're Scotty Screw-Up. You're Judy with the attitude I didn't say that, okay? I'm just... But you begin to think how the world begins to try to, to put its prints on us. But here's the thing. When I, train, when I, trade my, I, I train my kids up in the way they should go, and I teach them the Word of God, even though the world tries to put a label on them, he can't change their character because it's rooted in the kingdom of God. And so when we begin to get to things of God in them this age, and they begin this age, and then they start growing up, and they know the name of Jesus. They know the blood of Jesus. And they say, I'm everything that my Father says I am. No matter what the world says. And I believe in here there's many of you that you've allowed the world to put its thumbprints on you. You'll never be a good daddy. You don't have to listen to that junk. You'll never be a good mom. You'll never be a good wife. You'll never be successful. You start quoting what God says about you. Woo, I tell you, start saying the things God says about you. Now watch what happens in verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart. Get this right here, okay? The Amplified says he determined in his heart. This guy's 20 years old. And he determines in his heart. He purposes in his heart at 20. And he purposes in his heart that, the, that he would not defile or contaminate himself with the portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. So you know what he said? I'm not going there. 
I'm purposing in my heart. I'm going to live for God. I'm not going to go to the appetites of the flesh. I'm not going to pursue the drunkenness of the world. See, here's what happens at a young age. I gave my heart to Jesus when I was about 20. I didn't just magically grow angel wings at 20. But I purposed in my heart, I determined I'm going to live for God. And you know what that means? I wasn't perfect. I was far from it. I fell and I got back up. And I fell and I got back up. Proverbs 24 says the righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets back up. The issue isn't going to, if you're going to fall, the issue is you're going to get back up. Something happens right here when we purpose or determine in our hearts. And it's interesting here that this 20-year-old right here, he didn't say, Lord Jesus, come and lay hands on me. He didn't say, get all the elders of the church and lay hands on me. He purposed in his heart, and he said, I'm going to be godly in an ungodly world. Woo, something happens when I purpose in my heart. Turn to, to Daniel 6, and we'll end with this. Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps. These governors were high-ranking officials. These were the bigwigs in Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And it said... He distinguished himself above these guys. How did he do that? Because an excellent or an extraordinary spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to set him over the whole realm. And so right here it says, there's an excellent or an extraordinary spirit within him. So you begin to see right here that at a young age, he said, I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to do it God's way. Even in an ungodly environment. And when you look what all he said here, he literally put into action his convictions. He didn't just talk about them, he lived them. And anytime I leave my convictions, I live my convictions, I stay one step ahead of temptation. You march in and say, uh uh-uh, uh, uh-uh, I'm not going that way. I'm not going that way. At a young age, I had problems with my eyes, not in my vision, okay? The lust of the eyes. The book of Job. Chapter 32 verse 1 says. I made a covenant with my eyes. So at a young age I had to make a covenant with my eyes. And the crowd would say let's go watch this movie. Let's go watch this and this. And I'd say, huh, I, I made a covenant with my eyes. I'm not going. I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm not going to open my eyes up to something that's not right. And a few years back, some of them asked me, they said, do you not like movies? I said, I love movies. I just like to be set free. I, I came out of bondage, and I don't want to go back into bondage. And so now you begin to live with an excellent spirit that says, I don't care what everybody else is doing. I'm going to live for God. So now here's what happens. I've got to paraphrase this so we can get done. These governors 
They don't like the favor that's upon Daniel, the man of God. Do you know when there's favor on you? You don't have to do anything to promote yourself. God will do it. God will promote you. He'll move you. You do it God's way. God will bless you. I'm going to tell you that right now. He'll move you up in the ranks. He's in the business of promoting. And so God's promoting him, but these governors, they don't like it. ticks them off. And so they realize the only way we can get him if we set this decree up that, that everybody will worship Nebuchadnezzar. And if they worship anybody other than Nebuchadnezzar, they get thrown in the lion's den. So literally, they try to go after the only place in Daniel's life there would be any vulnerability, they thought, and it was his relationship with God. Verse 10, watch this. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, this decree, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God. He wasn't a closet Christian. He pulled open the curtains, the shutters. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel. He wasn't ashamed to say, I, I, I believe in the Lord thy God. I'm a son of God. I'm, I'm a child of God. He wasn't afraid. But here was his secret sauce right here. Three times. His posture of war. And he would pray. And he would give thanks, which he would praise God. He would lift holy hands. And he would do it morning, noon, and night. But watch this. Watch how this ends. As was his custom since early days. At a young age, he began to understand what it means to pray. And he understood, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to seek God. And so maybe you didn't start at an early age, but you can still jump in there now. But something happens when I begin to look at how men in the Bible, they weren't moved by being uh, the minority or unpopular. He didn't care. I'm going to serve God. I don't care about the rest of you. Yeah, who's, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to honor Him. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.